But in terms of choosing an asset, if someone's out there wondering where should I dip my toes, I always advocate what I call the circle of competence. So take an area that you know well and invest in that. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host, broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. This month, I'm giving away a thought leadership tracker, which will help you establish yourself as a thought leader in the multifamily space. This Excel will help you organize all the different activities and tasks you need to perform and help you track everything. This Excel will give you many ideas on how to establish yourself as a thought leader and help you stay on top of your game. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. You can find the document at www.ellieperlman.com slash resources. So again, you can find it at www.ellieperlman.com slash resources. All right, so my guest today is Andrew Pierce. Andrew is an independent asset protection consultant and creator of WyomingLLCAttorney.com. He helps business owners to effectively protect their assets by forming Wyoming LLCs. Andrew's success did not come easily or overnight. During the early days of his business, he battled credit card debts, total of $70,000. His business is now incredibly profitable and generated over a million dollars in revenue. And this year, 2020, he's on track for $2 million. And today, Andrew joined us to talk about minimizing your taxes by forming an LLC, structuring your business to maximize your privacy. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. And I'll admit, I listened to your podcast before I came on and I was impressed with your other guests and the content you're putting out there. So I hope the same will be true of me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. So, you know, we had a little bit of a chit chat before we started recording. And, you know, when it comes to forming LLCs, that might be perceived as a boring topic, but I can guarantee you it is interesting. And, you know, stay tuned to this episode because I will ask many questions that I personally had when I started and also many questions that I'm, I've been hearing from investors and syndicators alike. So let's start. So Andrew, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and how you got involved in forming LLCs. Certainly. So my background, my formal education is dual degrees in mathematics and philosophy with a lesser concentration in economics. When I finished those studies, I went down to the Caribbean to do business and I worked for a real estate development company 
doing my own projects and then also working inside of the development to see how things were done. I spent about three years down there and was lucky to meet my wife, but the time came where I was a little tired of the island life. So I actually had a small project. It was initially small anyway, to build out a website for an attorney in Wyoming. And the more I looked at the laws as I was putting the site together, getting the content written, I realized how favorable the laws were in Wyoming. So I decided I went, you know, I could make you a 10 page website, but if you don't market it correctly, that's like making brochures and putting them in your drawer. So let me go ahead and try to run with this thing. And the attorney was kind enough to allow me to kind of essentially hive off that part of the business. It's not operated as a traditional law firm. It's all online. You know, you're paying for ads instead of networking, those sorts of things. And that would have been about four years ago. And then last year, we formed a little over 3,000 LLCs through it. So it's taken off since then and been a great foray for not only learning about different types of businesses because our clients are diverse, but then learning about real estate as well, because really, as you know, I assume is every real estate investor needs at least one LLC, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting, you know, especially since I'm hearing questions, should I invest, you know, should I buy a property under my name or should I start an LLC? And we're going to get to it, but you're absolutely right. I think at least most investors need, you know, at least one LLC. And there's kind of a difference between, you know, in my opinion, whether you're a syndicator or a passive investor, but we'll, we'll get to that. I want to start our discussion talking about the asset part of the interview. Is there any specific real estate asset that you recommend to create an LLC for more than others? No, I would say whether you're doing office, industrial, family, you're going to need an LLC. How much you want to slice it and dice it will depend on how risky those assets are, what your investors look like in those things. But in terms of choosing an asset, if someone's out there wondering, where should I dip my toes? I always advocate what I call the circle of competence. So take an area that you know well and invest in that. I would start with multifamily homes or even single family residential. Don't dip your way into office buildings or industrial if you don't know that very well. Of course, if you have a background where that's what you do, sure, that's what you know better. But stay inside that circle of competence to begin and you'll be a lot more comfortable with what you're doing. That's a great tip. So essentially, every type of real estate, it doesn't matter which one, you should have some protection with establishing an LLC is what you're saying. Yes, I agree. Real estate's inherently risky for two reasons. I mean, you're dealing with contractors, you're dealing with tenants, you're just going to face issues no matter how safe you are. Insurance isn't always going to pay out. And then most important as well is real estate also happens to be valuable and it's hopefully cash flowing too. So it's a tempting target for creditors to go after. And unlike cash or trucks where you can move them around in case of a judgment, your home's located where it's located and you can't really sell it on a dime. So you need to go through those extra efforts to protect it since it's not really a mobile asset. Absolutely. Andrew, let's talk about the strategy a little bit about forming an LLC. What are the advantages to forming an LLC and what are some of the disadvantages that you've experienced, you know, directly or through your clients over the years? 
I would argue if done properly, there aren't really any disadvantages. So I'll start off by quoting Nancy Reagan. And she said, in terms of sole proprietorships, just say no. You have unlimited liability. There's no flexibility with taxes. It might seem simpler until you end up with a bunch of units, have to shuffle things around and you go, I wish I'd put the right structure in place from the beginning. The downside on an LLC, there certainly is some upkeep. Depending on the states, you have annual reports to file. You'll need to have annual meeting minutes. But those are all things that you should be doing anyway, that sort of corporate bookkeeping. And then that assists you if you ever do get in front of the judge and they've got this theory called the alter ego theory, which is, are you really just an extension of the LLC or did you add some meat to the bones? You can't form it and put it in your drawer. But if you go, you know, we do these meetings, we have these motions appointing managers, we don't commingle funds, et cetera. You look like an LLC, you get the LLC benefits. But I would argue, I tell people, it's easier to form an LLC than it is to buy a property. And it's easier to maintain an LLC than it is to buy the property at the end of the day. So protect your investments. Then the benefits of the LLC, especially with the new tax laws, you've got benefits that aren't always available to sole proprietorships. So at worst, it's tax neutral, but you could see some tax benefits from having it. If you properly isolate your assets, if you have an issue with one property, it's not going to affect the other properties. And then I would argue almost most importantly is the concept of the anonymous LLC, which is really just having privacy in your business affairs. We say it's you know protection from nosy neighbors, needy family members, and aggressive creditors. But the joke is no one sues homeless people. They do sue wealthy people. So the goal is to not have your name pop up everywhere if they do an asset search. And most attorneys are lazy. They go after the low-hanging fruit. If you hold everything in your name, they run a title search and they go, oh, this gentleman has nine homes. And you just got into a car wreck or something else. You look very easy to go after. If they do a search, you don't appear to have any money. He's working on a contingent fee basis. Or if they do find out you have different LLCs in different states and it's going to be expensive to litigate, a lot of those frivolous lawsuits are just going to go away at the end of the day. And I think this is such a major point about, you know, protecting your privacy. I mean, I have a little story to share. I was on a podcast about six months ago or so, and someone who listened to the podcast basically decided to look me up and thought that something didn't add up for some reason. And they found a Blue Lake Capital that was formed in California, which is not my Blue Lake Capital. It's, it's in a different state. And they basically posted all the information about that company, including the filing documents and said, there you go. Ellie is not the owner of Blue Lake, as she says. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, of course, I'm not the owner of Blue Lake Capital in California, where you have no, not much protection of privacy. I would, of course, as a former lawyer, would establish, you know, my company where nobody knows who owns that LLC. And then the other thing that I've, that I think another good tip is, and tell me if you agree, when you establish a company, even if it's managed by the owner, you do need to disclose who's the manager. And if you establish it and you classify it as an owner managed, they can link it up and see who is, okay, if the manager is, you know, Daniel Thompson, then he's the owner. You can make that linkage. So this is something to pay attention to. That's true. You know, you're listed as the manager. Is the manager the member or the owner? No, but it doesn't take a lot to assume, especially if, you know, if you have a vast real estate empire, it's certainly feasible. The managers, you have professional managers in place. 
If you've got mm-hmm. one home inside that LLC and you're the guy who's always showing up, I mean, you could claim you're the manager, but it's not too hard for them to go ahead and put it together at the end of the day. And right. I'd argue further to the privacy point is, you know, 15, 20 years ago, privacy wasn't as important because if you wanted to know the owner of a company, I guess you would fax the secretary of state, they would snail mail something to you. But now it's really as simple as going onto Google or going onto the state databases. You can pull up anything you want and then you kind of daisy chain it. You'll go, oh, they registered using this email. Now let me search this email. And then you can kind of unpeel the onion pretty easily uh, if they're dedicated enough to do it just because of Google at this point. So, And you're a huge advocate for Wyoming LLC. Can you tell us a little bit about why Wyoming and whether Wyoming protects the privacy from anyone to try and reverse engineer the information to get to, you know, the ownership on, you know, at the top? Uh, certainly. And I had a period where I lived in Wyoming and I would tell clients, I don't sell Wyoming LLCs because I live in Wyoming. I live in Wyoming to sell the LLCs specifically. Really, there's four states that you should look at if this is the what interests you. You're looking at Delaware, Nevada, Wyoming, and New Mexico. New Mexico has a place in some investors' portfolios. No matter how much you try to convince them that asset protection matters, they don't believe you. They just want privacy, whatever that reason is. So New Mexico has poor asset protection laws, but there's no annual report fee. So you file it once, maintain your agent, and you're good to go forever. That leaves you with Delaware, Nevada, Wyoming. Delaware, frankly, unless you're going public, you're not going to Delaware. You might have investors who want it because they're more familiar with the corporate law there, but it's really engineered for Fortune 500 companies. And because of that, they've got much more equitable laws in terms of debtor versus being creditor friendly. And that's not what you want with asset protection. So you're really left with Nevada and Wyoming. Their laws are functionally almost equivalent. There's certainly some nuances there, but they model their laws on top of each other. The difference is Nevada has gone through about seven or eight years of fee increases. So I think it's five or $600 a year just in state fees to keep Nevada open. One difference would be is Wyoming protects single member LLCs. So you have the same protection, whether it's a single or a multi-member, and this is provided by statute. So Piercing the corporate bail is difficult. You get charging order protection when there's one owner. This is, of course, important when you're dealing with real estate holding companies because every subsidiary is technically a single-member LLC wholly owned by your holding company generally. Nevada doesn't have that same law protecting single-member LLCs, but the courts have upheld it. So functionally, it exists. It's just not in the statute. But unless you care about nuances like that, they're going to be equivalent. You're just going to pay a lot less in Wyoming especially if you're looking at smaller properties or you're just beginning and trying to cash flow, you don't want to spend that much more in fees if you're not getting anything for it. And then it's about privacy as well. So every LLC we form is anonymous by default. We'll also sign your annual reports for you to keep your information private. And then something to keep in mind is as a law firm, you receive attorney client privilege. So other registered agents could sell your information. I can't imagine they would. It'd be very poor practice. I've never heard of it. But in theory, they could, whereas a law firm, we're just not allowed to, and we would have to be subpoenaed to give up your details. So you get that extra level of protection. That's a very good distinction. I have to admit, I haven't thought about it. That's a very good point. Another question I have for you, Andrew, you know, having formed thousands of LLCs, what are some common mistakes you've seen business owners make when structuring and registering their LLCs? 
some common mistakes would be the belief if you're the only owner, you don't need an EIN or you don't need a bank account, you'll use your social. So simple things like not commingling funds, the idea that you'll hold your annual meetings later on. So we've had clients where they got sued in year six and they're busy trying to backdate all these documents. And we go, well, we're certainly not going to help you and you shouldn't be doing that. But it's easier to take things step by step. The other would be always get the operating agreement signed. That's going to detail the rights and responsibilities of every owner and every manager. A good example would be in real estate, you know, everything's good in the beginning. We go in, we buy a home. We don't agree on what happens if the home turns to negative cash flow or you need cash in there. So all of a sudden, the other person's not obligated. Even if you had a handshake, well, that's not going to hold up in court. And frankly, as soon as things go bad, you really see what your partners are like. So always get your operating agreement signed and have everyone agree to it. And then there's other little things, you know, visiting Wyoming or opening a bank account. Those things always help as well. So, Got it. And you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned a few times, holding an annual meeting. If it's a single member LLC, what should an owner do in order to be in compliance? It's kind of silly. The, I mean, the annual mm-hmm. meeting is literally just you talking to yourself. But that is the only thing you're technically required to do that year. So you would just list down the goals that you have for the coming year. It could be as simple as five or six bullet points. You know, on this day, the members have met. We've discussed doing these things, funding these accounts, and we agreed to these distributions. You could think of it instead of thinking of it as being something silly. It also gives you a chance to sit down and go, what are my goals over the coming year? Meditate on that or focus on it. And so it could act as a way to kind of recenter you on what you're trying to do as well. But it doesn't have to be anything terribly complex, just something that shows you did it. Got it. And one last question I have around strategy. When it comes to sponsors or syndicators, I totally understand the need to protect themselves and the need to actually form an LLC. I do get questions from my investors, they're basically limited partners. So their exposure is limited to begin with. And they're asking me, should we invest under our own name or should we establish an LLC? And if so, should it be one LLC for all of our passive investments or LLC per investment? What would you say if someone asked you and and they were passive investors? The passive investing is a little bit different because you don't have that traditional risk profile. Presumably, the properties are also being managed by a third-party property manager. So except in, I can't really imagine where that could go wrong for you. I'm sure one of your listeners will bring up a case where someone did get (laughs) but practically not really. I'd still recommend the LLC. It gives you a little bit of privacy. So that way your name's not being passed around as much. It's held in there. Then the other nice part that doesn't get spoken of is when you have the holding company model, all of the income flows into the holding company and you file a consolidated tax return. So you're not having to file all your different partnership returns and then the properties over here. It just goes through the holding company and it can simplify your filings at the end of the year. Then it makes it easier. The money flows into the holding company. You can then push it into children as a contribution or as a loan to make further investments. So you're not moving it into your personal name and then into a holding company and then into the Mm -hmm. children. It minimizes your transfers and bookkeeping. And then possibly the most important part, because the Wyoming LLCs do have the charging order protection, the fact that you're holding those interests in the Wyoming LLC, if you have a personal credit event, regardless of what it is, whether it's a car wreck or something else happening, they aren't able to get into the assets that's held by the LLC, that are held by the LLC. That's very important. So it's the inside-outside protection as well that Wyoming's relatively unique in offering. 
Let's talk a little bit about the process. So, can you describe the process of forming an LLC from an investor's point of view when they reach out to you or to a registrar and say, "Hey, I want to open an LLC. What happens next?" Well, I've seen just in the last few years, it's become immeasurably easier. I secret shopped in the beginning, and people had me faxing things around, and we even took orders over the phone for a while. At this point, most people have an online order form. You submit it. If you choose a good agent, there's plenty of them out there. They'll do almost all the work for you for at least getting you filed. Then they'll give you your documents back, your organizational meeting minutes, your operating agreement. It's important to get those signed, usually notarized, so that way someone can't contest the date they were signed and claim you tried to backdate it. And then if you go through our service, we'll provide you template documents. Of course, we would prefer our clients allowed us to do it, but there's certain people who don't want to pay their do-it-yourselfers, whatever it is. Take the templates, fill them out whenever you have a corporate event, and just keep up on the upkeep. But Wyoming makes it easy. We have a 24-hour guaranteed turnaround. Most other providers do. You're really in business that quickly. Wyoming takes all the filings online and they accept them immediately. So I know SunBiz in Florida. We have a lot of clients there. You submit it online. I don't know what they do for two weeks, but then two weeks later they give it back to you. Wyoming, as long as the name's available, you're effectively in business immediately. You can begin conducting your affairs. Got it. And how much does it cost to establish an LLC in Wyoming? And then how much does it cost to maintain the LLC? The state fee is one o two. Assuming you're going to file online, you'll pay a two dollar convenience fee. So it's a hundred and two dollars for the state fee to file your articles. And then your annual report is due the first day of the month in which you form. So if you form in March, March first of next year, you'll have fifty-two dollar annual report. The annual report's technically fifty dollars for every two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in assets in Wyoming. So a home held somewhere else wouldn't count. A bank account with the Wyoming address would count. But so most clients come in at that fifty-two dollar rate. Our fee one ninety-nine total for the LLC, including the state fee. And then our registered agent service plus us filing the annual report to keep you anonymous is one forty nine, and that includes the state fee too. So you have relatively minimal fees, at least for the Wyoming portion. Got it. And any other taxes that you need to pay because you formed an LLC in Wyoming, assuming you don't have the asset there, because most real estate, you know, deals are being done outside of Wyoming. True. The nice part is Wyoming doesn't have any state income or corporate tax. There are no tax filings to file, not even a zeroed-out return. But as you know, the LLCs are a pass-through entity, so it's determined by where you're living at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter how many LLCs you have or what you're doing; it's pretty much going to be the same filings. But going with Wyoming or Nevada, where have you? It's easy, and I mean, if you're doing it yourself, it might take a little bit of adjusting. But CPAs are very familiar with holding companies in different states; they won't blink at it. So find a good、mm-hmm. CPA; it'll make your life easy. All right, perfect. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. We have arrived to the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I believe so, but please begin. <laughs> All right. So, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby, I suppose, it's a cliche, but I enjoy traveling.、Mm-hmm. In particular, though, I. I、have a real interest in the hotel and the airline business models. I think they're very complex, and if you want to nerd out on it and figure out how to kind of abuse their points and miles systems, you can get a lot of free travel out of it at the end of the day. So, I'm the nerd that'll read the terms and conditions on an airline ticket and 
kind of do that to relax. But the end result is I get a trip out of it. So I think it's worth it. The awesome. bad side is I'm my family's travel agent now. So. <laughs> All right. But so what's the one thing that people don't know about you? I actually do love business. It's not something that I do because I want to make money, even though that's nice. It's something where I enjoy it. So it's not like, let me get this done so I can go do something else. I'll work into the nights. I'll wake up early. It's not a burden for me. It's really a passion. Got it. All right. And Andrew, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? The easiest way, just wyomingllcattorney.com. We have a phone number at the top. We have a contact form at the bottom or email us at info at wyomingllcattorney.com. Mention you heard me here uh, and it'll get its way over to me and I'm more than happy to interface with you on your needs. All right. Thank you, Andrew, so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate your time and have a great day. You've uh, earned a listener from me, so we'll have one more going forward. <laughs> awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.